Welcome to another edition of the College Faith Podcast, sponsored by Global Scholars. This is Stan Wallace, your host, and my guest today is Timothée José, author of The Priesthood of All Students. He's been a student leader in campus ministry in Switzerland and internationally, including serving on the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students Governing Board for four years. Timothée holds a Master of Arts with majors in Literature and History from the University of Nucatel, Switzerland, and Berlin, Germany a Master of Theological Studies from Tyndale Seminary, Toronto, and a PhD in Theology from the University of Durham. For several years, he's also helped give leadership to the Dialogue and Truth Project, an initiative to support undergraduate, postgraduate, and doctoral students in integrating their faith and academic disciplines. And finally, he's the incoming International Fellowship of Evangelical Students Engaging the University Coordinator. Timote, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. One of the aims of this podcast is helping students and their parents have the information they need when they uh, head off to the university to flourish. And many of my previous guests have emphasized it's very important to to be involved in campus ministry during during those years. I just read your dissertation, The Priesthood of All Students, Historical, Theological, and Missiological Foundations of a University Ministry, the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students. And there you discuss a number of ideas that I think are really helpful to students as they seek to walk with God and to be used by Him during their university years. Uh, and then you track it through the ministry you've been involved with for, for quite some time, the International Fellowship of Evangelical Students, uh, IFES, of which in my country, the U.S., InterVarsity is an affiliate. So uh, I'd like to discuss uh, some of the, of the themes in your book, and in particular, how campus ministries help students flourish and minister to others, and use IFES, which you know so much about, as a case study. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the journey you've had in writing this book? Yeah, thank you. The, the journey has been quite an interesting one. I got involved in uh, student ministry very early on in senior high school. Um, I was first a participant and then a, a student leader, and then I went off to university and joined a student ministry quite uh, quite directly as well. And very soon, because there was a turnover in this uh, local group at the time in, in French-speaking Switzerland, one of the leaders just asked me whether I would like with another one to take uh, to take on the leadership as well. And I got I got into it quite quickly, quite deeply, mm. preparing Bible studies, mm-hmm. uh, discussing with friends. And um, quite soon, I think it was probably the second year of my studies, the General Secretary of GBU Switzerland. You better define all, all these terms for my listeners. Uh, GBU, what is that? Yeah, GBEU, Groupe Biblique des Écoles et Universités de Suisse Romande, which is basically the IFES branch in French-speaking Switzerland. Got it. The General Secretary, who is the, the National Director, if you wish, uh, told me, you know, we have a good archive and nobody has really used it a lot. And might you not uh, choose that topic for your master thesis? Because she knew I was studying history at the time. So mm. here they, they were. I had that uh, on my on my radar as well. So I ended up writing my master thesis at this secular university on the uh, history of my uh, local uh, national student movement. And then went on and kept uh, uh, being involved in student ministry in several countries. And then when time came after my theological studies um, in Canada um, to look for a dissertation topic, it came quite naturally that I wanted to venture into exploring IFES. I wanted Mm. to understand 
what IFES does, I had been involved in several ways, in several capacities, but I wanted to understand the rational, the theological background. Mm. Why does it work? What are the strengths and weaknesses of the model? And here we are uh, a few years down the road with, uh, with this book. Yes, great. For those who aren't familiar with IFES, how would you introduce the fellowship? The International Fellowship of Evangelical Students was officially founded in 1947 um, in your country, actually in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, interestingly enough, it was uh, the result of contacts which had been existing before the Second World War of national student movements who wanted to have an evangelical witness uh, in university campuses throughout uh, Europe, but also other countries like the US, like even China. And mm. so they came together and they said after the war, we need to have much a stronger network. So it's really a network of independent movements. There is no headquarter and a, an international director giving orders around the globe. It's really a, a network of friends, of missional friends, if you so wish. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, linked together by a constitution like any other organization, but they also have a doctrinal basis, which has been some of form of the of the strong uh, uh, spine, if you want, of of that engagement. And uh, at the time of, of speaking, IFES is currently working in in 180 countries, which is a significant increase from the 10 founding members um, working in many pioneering situations as well. All right. So it's more like the UN than Coca-Cola. Right. So it's more like a, a federation of independent entities uh, than uh, a multinational corporation that has a central headquarters that, in a sense, dictates or directs what happens globally. Yeah, very much so. OK, that's really helpful. That's really helpful. So uh, your main argument in the book is that the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers is essential to understanding the ministry of IFES. And. I think you would agree should be foundational to all campus ministries, right? Yeah, I would say so. Okay, so tell us about that. It gradually dawned on to me that uh, the priesthood of all believers might be the theological key to understanding uh, the way IFES has approached its ministry and I think other student ministry have or might as well consider doing. It's, I'm not saying that it's the only way of considering student ministry, of course, but I think it's a, it's a way of, of understanding why it, it can work and why it is theologically legitimate. The idea is really, and this, this comes of course uh, from the Reformation thinking, notably Luther, but also many of the, his successes, that yeah. uh, Christian people do not need clerical mediation to access God. Mainly, they can read the Bible, they can pray, they can witness, they can be before their God without having somebody uh, uh, mingling between the two, if you so wish. Right. So the reason why it makes sense for student ministry is that we have to explain why it is okay, it is legitimate for non-theologically trained students to read the Bible together, to try to understand it, to pass it on to other, to invite non-Christian students to read it with them without having a pastor around. So in many contexts, there are staff members or, or, or friends of the groups, but most of the time those groups are, are alone. They function, they function alone. So uh, in much the same way as IFES national movements are independent from IFES world, the, the local groups, what you call in the US chapters or Christian unions, uh, they are very independent. So there are student leaderships, the students appoint their own leaders, 
and sometimes this has brought uh, uh, um, brought about a few controversies maybe saying okay the students if they read the bible on their own they might end up heretics because they don't have a pastor telling them how to read the text and when people tell me that uh, and when people have been arguing that uh, across the globe for many years i often say uh, people are reading the bible on their own anyway students mm -hmm. are being uh, taught how to think to read text to engage with materials throughout their studies mm -hmm. so we better take that into consideration and validate it and help them and support them as engaged and if i want to put it in a bit of a more pointed way I say I prefer a heretic who speaks than a heretic who keeps quiet because a heretic <laughs> who speaks will have the chance of having another student helping him or her to stir back into um, a more biblically faithful uh, way instead of going on, on, on sideways. Sure. So that's, that's, I think, how I would explain it. And for those of you who are more historically minded, I think this is really to be uh, uh, linked to the quite strong brethren influence at the, in the early days of IFES. In many national movements, there were brethren people uh, who have been always uh, very strongly insisting on this important uh, doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. So if I had to, to summarize it in just three terms, which is basically the framework I use throughout the book, is there is immediacy, which is the idea that individuals are legitimately engaging with God without the necessity of others. The community is part of it, but uh, uh, individuals can engage directly. There is mediation. That means um, we mediate God to the campus and we uh, mediate others to God. We can come back to that if, if you will. And there is participation. And I argue that uh, as all Christians are called to, Christian students are participating in God's mission, which is already at work throughout the, the world. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that's so relevant for student ministry today. I have been involved in a number in my, my years. And uh, it is always interesting to compare the fabric or texture of the of the ministries that seem to have a different theology where it's really the staff worker or the trained professional who is the one who does the ministry and students just receive versus this idea grounded in the priesthood of all believers, very biblical idea that no students themselves are those that God has called and equipped to to uh to to reach out and do the work of the ministry as well as to as you say study the scriptures and understand the scriptures in community uh without needing to have it mediated through necessarily a, a campus pastor the, those are great when they are available but most universities don't have folks like that available so really relevant for i think uh, our our situation today in 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 the u.s certainly i think in many countries yeah and this also plays into uh being mindful and respectful of students' sociology. I mean, students, whatever their actual academic level, are meant to be, to some degree, intellectuals. And if we take that seriously, it means that uh, we have to rather help and work, walk alongside them rather than just uh, talk down upon them and mm -hmm. telling them uh, what to believe. Because um, ultimately, even on a workplace or wherever, if, in, if they further work in academia, um, they need to be developing this Christianly informed critical thinking, if you if you want, and this this 
takes shape uh, as they encounter God in his, uh, through his uh, word uh, together, as individuals uh, in their dorms maybe, in the local group, but also as they witness in community and are uh, God's uh, ambassadors on, on campus. And I've seen that as well myself, that uh, in some contexts where the group is really very strongly staff driven, um, when the staff goes, moves on or whatever, uh, or the campus is locked, like campus groups not being allowed to meet or campus security um, increasing because of many risks. And this certainly happens in many countries in the world where there are security issues in complex political contexts. Uh, staff workers are some simply not allowed on campus. Mm -hmm. So what, what do you do then? Does the group disappear because the campus pastor is not there or is the group sufficiently well equipped to do its ministry on its own without uh, this permanent oversight. Mm -hmm. That's right. Right. Good. Well, and that ties into something else that was intriguing in your book, and it was the idea that the university might be understood as a foreign land, uh, you say. So can you tell me a little more about what you mean by that and what implications that could have for this relationship between student ministries and the church per se? Yeah. So... Uh, when when I was researching and reading reports and and thinking uh, about some of the missionaries and theologians who have been working in in foreign lands like like the Far East as we used to call it at the time or or other missionaries we we used to say in the 19th century we go to the far field this kind of vocabulary is not used much anymore uh, right. anyway but the idea was really we go far away and. Far away is where the language is different, the culture is different, the food is different, the, mm -hmm. the mores are different, uh, so we should adapt. So you might remember, some listeners might remember that, uh, for example, the, the, some missionary, missionaries like Hudson Taylor, they went from these elite universities in, in Britain and they went to China and they were some of the first to dress like the Chinese. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how anonymous they exactly became, <laughs> but at least by dressing like the Chinese, they were valuing um, the dress codes and the, sure. the, the habits there. And I was wondering whether, and I think this is, I, I, I try to make the case strongly enough that the university is very often a foreign land, especially especially foreign lane to the church. I mean, your listener probably are aware of the many different, different challenges that students encounter on campuses, uh, other ideas, other trends, uh, other habits. Um, some students just leave their family uh, and they go and they are in dorms and they have to engage in sports and whatever and academic disciplines for which they're potential catechism or Sunday school training hasn't prepared them so well. Mm -hmm. So it's like really being very, very far away, even if this is in the same country, the, sta the same state or wherever. So I wonder whether it's not helpful to consider the university as a foreign land, as a way of conceiving how we have to learn, we have to respect, we have to engage with the university as it is, uh, a place where we can learn, discover, value, uh, and engage meaningfully as well with non-Christians. You know, sometimes I see uh, places or ideas whereby um, the university is considered rather as a battlefield. And this is a metaphor I really hate because uh, if we consider that God is really the Lord of the universe, um, he's not afraid of the university. It's really a place where he's there already, a place where we can actually thrive and be called to and engage and learn from God's creation. So even if it's foreign, it's definitely a place where God has already been. And 
if you look back at the Old Testament, this is really what happened to the people of Israel. When they mm. went to exile to Babylon, as hard as this was, they realized that God was still there. And a huge amount of theologizing happened during the exile because the prophets were calling the people of Israel to think back what had happened in the promised land, what went wrong, what went right, how they would do better when they went back after the exile would finish. So it's, it's really a, an idea of considering the place where you go in a valuing way and and not assuming that you know the language and that you know uh, what what needs to be said and done. And to tie in to your previous question about the staff drivenness or not, sometimes I've, I've seen also tendencies of, of church leaders or theologians saying, okay, we need to capture or we need to um, reach this population, this vast population of students because they're young enough and they will be shaped enough and we can preach the gospel to them without caring about what it means to be a university student, without caring about what the university does, sometimes having terribly despising uh, 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 rhetoric about the university. And this is not a way or a, in which you would reach any population in the world. So why would we that do that with the university? So we better start valuing it and, and learning uh, its ins and outs to be faithful witnesses there. Oh, that's really helpful. I've heard a distinction made once that really helped me understand these different approaches to 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 campus ministry uh and it was the distinct threefold distinction between uh, a youth ministry a student ministry and a campus ministry uh, and a lot of ministries seem to operate as youth ministries so they're they're trying to reach a certain age demographic mm -hmm. irrespective of where they are if all people 18 to 22 roughly congregated in laundromats that's where the ministry would be mm -hmm. They happen to congregate in universities, so that's where the ministry is. But it has nothing to do with what they do there. It's just that they happen to be there. Now, some others take it a step further and are, I'd say, student ministries. So they do take into consideration that these are students. And so, yeah, they do have to go to class and they do study things. And, and that's that's somewhat in, in the picture. But it's it's really just focused on them uh, as, as individuals in the university mm -hmm. context. Yeah. And in campus ministries as a third would be ministries that understand the entire ecosystem, that yeah. this is a place where there are students, there are scholars, there are uh, others who are together. And we want to care about this whole ecosystem, this whole place called the university and understand the students role in it, but also care about others who are there as well as the ideas in the university. I've always found that a helpful way to understand how programming them develops in different student ministries in terms of are they seeing this as youth ministry student ministry or campus ministry and i think that's what you're tying into in terms of sort of a missiological assessment of this place uh, and understanding what the university is and in light of what the university is engaging and ministering to students that way yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, I mean, this is what in IFES we called uh, engaging the university, mm -hmm. considering the university in all its facets and shapes, right. and knowing that it means both um, individuals with their challenges, but it means also all the, 
the structures, uh, all the people that are so often unseen as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes mm -hmm. we say to consider the university in all its dimensions means, uh, as a student, it means, of course, to write a paper in bringing a Christian perspective, which doesn't necessarily mean quoting Bible verses, but that's another topic. Sure. But also sometimes just saying hi to the janitor, saying sure. thank you to the cleaning lady. Uh, I remember a friend of mine, uh, he was really shocking his friends because they said, what's wrong with you? You go to university and you say hi to the cleaning lady the same way you say hi to the, uh, uh, the head professor. And he said, but they are, value, they are valuable human beings. I mean, mm -hmm. there is no reason why I shouldn't respect them. So this is really also part uh, of this life, uh, a respectful life. I think broadly speaking and theologically speaking, one of the reasons why it's so important to consider the university as ecosystem is also because so often trends and, and ideas are on campus about 15 years before they reach the rest of society. Sometimes it goes a bit faster. Mm -hmm. And then, unfortunately, it takes sometimes another 10 or 15 years to reach the church. So imagine the ideological gap between students and regular church members, if you want. So they're really caught in a loyalty conflict, the, 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 the rock and the hard place, because they are in this sphere of life where the, the voices are sometimes really strident, mm -hmm. and sometimes the church where they find it's a bit irrelevant or a bit strange. So it's not playing one against the other, but it's just stressing the importance of those differences and, and, and the necessity of reassessing. And what happens sometimes is that we realize that we think we have the answers, but we don't even really know the questions. Mm -hmm. You remember this joke about Sunday school, uh, I know it looks like a rabbit to me, but I know the right answer is Jesus. <laughs> and sometimes right. it's a bit the same in student ministry. We, th we think we know what their challenges are, and it's not always the same. So one, one of the people I quote in the, in the book is Samuel Escobar, who, who studied at, at Wheaton College and then went back to student ministry in South America. And he said, the problem is I had no idea how to answer the questions because I was faced with Marxist uh, carrying weapons when I was coming out of the lecture. I better had good words to say because otherwise I was putting my life at risk, so to mm -hmm. say. So they were not asking me about the evangelical sexual ethics. They were asking me what it meant to be a Christian in the revolution age. What what do Christians think about uh, um, revolution, socialism, communism, the necessity of caring for the poor and that kind of things. So he said, we better start thinking hard about the questions that are uh, um, uh, concerning the students. And one of the one of the ways I sometimes say to students uh, is when you go on campus and to stand, uh, campus ministers and to whomever goes on campus, look at the pinboards, look around, look at what is happening, read student newspaper and then write for them. As Christians, we can always uh, always engage because those newspapers are always desperately looking for uh, for writers. So let us uh, also really immerse ourselves. Okay, what is really boiling either over or under the surface? And in what way does then the gospel speak into these issues and sometimes really also help us rediscover aspects of the gospel that we might have overseen because of our own cultural or theological or ecclesial biases. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a, a very Christian perspective on the university, I think. It really understands in the biblical categories what the university is, how we as believers should be a part of it. I really like that. When you're talking about the exile, I was thinking of Daniel as a paradigm case, mm -hmm. as a, a student himself <laughs> in the Babylonian university system, as Daniel yeah. 1, 
unpacks and in fact have used that in student ministry in Bible studies with students to help them yeah. develop this type of a theology of of this is a place that God has you for a reason and your studies are valuable even if they are Babylonian philosophy and astronomy yeah. and physics or what have you it's good to study and to know yeah. uh, for a number of reasons so I really I really like that emphasis that you bring out in the book and remember what the text says they were found 10 times better mm -hmm. than the others so they really mm -hmm. did the hard, uh, the hard work because they probably had first to learn the language. Exactly. So they really didn't have a head start. Well, and there's so many parallels to the student heading off to university today. Yeah. We will return to the show in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor. Guests on the College Faith Podcast often discuss how important professors are in the lives of students during these impressionable years. Christian professors are examples to both non-Christian and Christian students that a person can be educated and still follow Christ, and they can have a lifelong influence as mentors. Please consider helping equip Christian professors to make a difference on a campus near you and worldwide. To learn more, please visit www.global-scholars.org. Please also check out the other podcast Stan and Dr. J.P. Moreland do together, Thinking Christianly. Whereas this College Faith podcast focuses more on the practical questions of thriving during the college years, the Thinking Christianly podcast is all about the ideas that shape the university, students, our broader culture, and the world. Visit thinkingchristianly.org or download episodes on your favorite podcast platform. And now back to College Faith. You argue in the book, and this ties in in a number of ways, I'd like you to, to say a little bit more, but you argue in the book that talking about student ministry as a parachurch type of entity might be misleading. Why is that? Oh, that's a tricky question, um, because um, parachurch is usually this umbrella term that is used for, for designating all those uh, uh, works that have uh, emerged outside of traditional church structures and student ministry being one of them. Um, I think it's misleading because it's considering that this group is basically all only besides or alongside or uh, um, next to the church as if the real Christian business is church and whatever is around is just basically for those Christians who are activists but not theologically trained because the upper level is when you are a pastor and when you're a bit less trained you become a power church leader of sorts and and that's really sad because oftentimes we've seen in history that those power church institutions or organizations have emerged because christians had very strong concerns that they didn't see their church address and notably the big missionary movements in the 19th century was most of the case in most cases started by university students mm -hmm. as are usually revolutions around the world uh, students are often a place where so many things are happening and being thought through saying a bit in a derog derogatory way that the student ministry is a is a power church means uh, ultimately and i've heard that said or written the power church is there because the church doesn't do what it should be doing 
Right. And so it's basically it's it's a fix and it's a, it's a lazy fix and we will tolerate the part church and hence we should rather uh, uh, control it and make sure that leaders are not going on on tangent ways and that's sad because we've seen the way the ways in which and this is sometimes and this is in evangelicalism sometimes a bit controversial but sometimes practical theology should lead us to revise a few of our systematic theology categories the idea is we've seen the students thriving develop go deeper in their understanding of god and his mission and in their commitment and they become church leaders they get involved they become elders they become uh, youth leaders in their churches as well so we usually say you lend us your your young people we train them and we send them back to the church because there is really no playing uh, of one against the other mm. and another dimension of this discussion about power church is the idea that God's mission can be understood, and this is a missiological uh, approach, God's mission is primary. Some missiologists have said that the mission of God has a church, uh, not uh, uh, there is a church, and by the way, there is a mission as a nice extra. It's rather that because God is on mission of communicating himself in creation, redeeming it, uh, because that's really what, what it, the gospel is about, mm -hmm. and restoring it towards the shalom, um, then if if this is really what is happening, then mission is primary. Hence, people are missionaries wherever they are. And they so happen to be on a campus and then organize themselves as this specific sociological group, which is not fully a church, but which is not either fully a non-church. So I'm not saying that an IFES group or for that matter, another student group is um, is a church. But I'm wondering and I'm asking the question quite pointedly is, in what way is it really not a church? People gather together, they read or preach the word, they witness together, they pray for each other, they sometimes now celebrate communion. It's not always the case, but quite often it's the case now. And sometimes there is even baptism, the most controversial of things, because sometimes students just come to faith in a student ministry and they have no local church yet. So sometimes, especially with international students, I've seen that happen with baptism. And so you end up not really having so many differences to a local church anymore, besides the fact that there are only young people and no intergenerational things and so on. So it's not saying it's a substitute to church, though sometimes it sociologically becomes so because there is this discrepancy in the feeling, in the activism, in the understanding between the local church and the power church. So in IFES, we've always encouraged students to go to local churches. And at the same time, sometimes we have to acknowledge that it's a bit difficult uh, for them to, to get integrated. This is why I think church leaders, and if you are a church leader, a pastor listening to this, please consider this. Set your students free to be fully involved in their student ministry, but also give them opportunities. Don't burn them out with opportunities in church. Don't tell them if you serve the church first and then if you have some leftover times, go to a university campus because those universities are very short. So once they're done with studying, whether they're graduated, they come back and we'll have plenty of decades to get involved in the church. So it's rather a training ground um, and a place where they can come back. 
But sometimes, unfortunately, there is also the problem of having had smart students being very committed, leading Bible studies and whatever, and then going back to churches where they have owned, uh, uh, earned the right to shut up for many years. And this is certainly also a tough question to ask for women uh, very involved in student ministry, witnessing, praying, leading Bible studies and whatever, and then going back to churches where they rather should keep their mouth shut. So th those are the, the tough questions that we sometimes have to ask. And this was also one of the goals of the book. Well, and as you wrote that section, I was thinking about a, uh, a a distinction that's helped me a lot that I believe originated with Ralph Winter and uh, shows up in his chapter on their Perspectives book, Perspectives on the World Christian Movement. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the distinction between a modality and a sodality in God's mission in the Missio Dei, where the church is God's modality, but he's always had these missionary bands, these sodalities yeah. that he uses to advance the gospel in a new place or a new context or a new in, in, in new ways. And you, you did then make that tie in to see student ministry as a, a sodality yeah. of God's mission. I, I really found that helpful. And I've run into this, a church I was a part of for a long time, would regularly recite the mantra that the local church properly functioning is the hope of the world. And I agreed to a certain degree, but I said, so what does that mean I do as somebody working with a campus ministry? Mm -hmm. And it was entirely the idea you just expressed that, well, you have to do that because we aren't really doing our job. If we did our job well, uh, you know, there would be no need for what you're doing. And the distinction Winter had between a modality and a sodality helped me to say, no, historically throughout scripture and church history god has used yeah. both the local church and these sodalities to advance his mission and are equally important in his sight yeah I, I appreciate yeah. you bringing that out because i think a lot of folks struggle with that mm -hmm. so appreciate that thank you is there anything else you want to say about the relationship between campus ministries and ecclesial authorities that we haven't touched on it's an important topic and things that a lot of students in campus ministers are challenged with yeah as well as it's important to help students see the importance and the value of of the local church because i really think there is no theological doubt about the importance of the church and i don't believe in in lonely in lonely students and lonely christians without a community you yeah. can't you can't yeah. keep up your faith and there is no way and you need you need others because others are as sinful as you are, but they are often not sinful exactly the same way as you right. are. So they will point point you at your sins uh, and and you will help them. And it's not just about sin. It's also about encouragement. Um, sure. Ecclesiastes says when, when one is falling down, if there is another one, he can help him or her uh, stand up again. So we, we really need this encouragement. So that's that's the very positive side of, of things. But on the other side, there is sometimes this, this real tension of the discrepancy between what students are faced with on campuses, the far the far edges of research, neurosciences, physics, philosophy, arts, uh, nursing, whatever. All those disciplines were are the places where research is 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 happening and discovering new things of which pastors by the sheer fact that they don't have time to engage it are absolutely ignorant of and it's not to despise pastors whatsoever no. but it's just to a call on pastors to say okay just value this and ask questions and why not uh, uh, valuing 
what your students are learning, what maybe the scholars in, in your church have been learning, and in which way does this shed a new light on what we know and appreciate of God's creation. I said that earlier in our discussion, uh, sometimes there is this idea that the university is a very dangerous place. And sometimes, unfortunately, uh, from the pulpit, we hear sermons or ideas that play into this narrative of saying, OK, be careful or shut yourself, um, protect yourself when you go on campus. And this is unfortunate because students end up with a cognitive dissonance and they end up really feeling very unsure and not even able to share their doubts and their questions because they feel they will be despised. I've heard uh, students, very, very smart students, having very honest questions, serious doubts or whatever. And they're not, not being rebellious whatsoever. And some of the church leaders have told them, you just should stop thinking so hard or you should just pray more. What a nonsense is this? I mean, if we if we consider that God is really the Lord of a creation, mm -hmm. nothing of what we can discover on campus and in research can be outside of God's sphere of influence and sovereignty. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the explanations of for the discoveries are misguided or are biased, as we all we all are, but they are not per se wrong. I I tend to say that all truth is God's truth. So if mm -hmm. if this is true, then what we've discovered is really a, a safe space. So I, I know safe space is sometimes a bit of a, a loaded expression, but I use it <laughs> on purpose to say that it's a safe space because God is there. And sometimes it means that I haven't understood the world as I should have so far, uh, but he's helping me and walking uh, alongside me in this. And on the, on the other hand, I think Christian students should benefit, and I've certainly myself benefited a lot from that, from those very old people in the church who have probably absolutely no idea of what I have been doing mm -hmm. as a student, as a scholar, but they are examples in prayerfulness, in, mm. in, in piety, in daily devotions, in whatever it takes to be faithful over many, many, many years, because that's the big difference between uh, late teenage students and elderly people is that they have seen many decades and they've seen ebbs and, and, and tides of ideas and of philosophies come, but they've experienced God's faithfulness. And sometimes as students, we're so uh, in the boiling ground of ideas and, and of things that we need those more calm people who have many more years to show us that the God, the Lord has been really faithful to them and they, they will uh, continue to pray for them. So I always encourage older people in churches, even if you don't understand anything about academia, please smile to the students, sometimes cook for them, say you pray for them and encourage them, rather than give them a, a, a small leaflet telling them how wrong they are to be studying at university. Of course, this also depends on the context, because uh, in the US you have many more people going to university in some of the countries in Europe or in the majority world, the number of students are actually so little, so few. Sure. So we also have to, to deal with this and studying a ministry uh, as global as IFES has always pushed me and I hope pushes my readers as well to reconsider some of the tenets of their thinking about uh, student ministry because it's so diverse, so, so mm -hmm. different um, mm -hmm. that we have to feature that in, in our thinking. Mm -hmm. Timothy, I really like the balance you're striking between the centrality, the importance, the the essential role the local church plays in the life of the believer, including the, the life of the student, but also the 
central role that campus ministries can and should play in the life of the student. And it's not an either or, it's a both and, both yeah. important, both have uh, connections or synergy between the, 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 the two entities, between the modality and the sodality. Yeah. And uh, and how do we find that? So I, I really like that balance, and it came through through really well in what you just said. You strike another balance that I I like. I'd like you to say a little more about that. It came up earlier, and it's a, a balance between the tension of local leadership of a campus ministry and central oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's there's value to both, yeah. but there are challenges to one or the other being emphasized too much. What is that balance? What are the implications of the balance for the future of student ministry? Talk a little bit about that. You wrote well about that, and I want some of your ideas to to be in this conversation on that as well. Yeah, this is this is not the easiest uh, dimension of of the history of student ministry, and definitely not of an international student ministry like IFES has been. So you made the difference uh, before uh, the comparison to UN and Coca Cola, and I think if we really consider the the local uh, the national movements to be independent and to be contextualized. In the end of the day, a national movement is what is an association of Christians who are called by God to strengthen and encourage and develop student ministry in their respective context. And sometimes there is this narrative of uh, we need to contextualize. And I think this is definitely something I've observed throughout the history of IFES is that those movements who have been, as I said before, at the far edges of missionary engagement have had to come up with answers to questions that nobody had asked before. So, for example, the 10 founding member movements were mostly Western movements with relative social and even theological to a certain degree homogeneity. What were those founding movements of IFES, just so we can have a context? So the founding members um, were um, Canada, uh, the US, Britain, France, Switzerland, um, Norway, uh, the Netherlands, as well as um, Australia and New Zealand, and China was mm. a national movement at the time. So those were the, the, the founding members. Okay, that's helpful. So th- this really developed very widely, and that was one of the, the discoveries of my, of my research, is that some of those questions, especially the relationships between culture and the gospel, have been uh, uh, seen in an entirely new light because they were in other contexts. And these questions are still relevant nowadays. So, for example, the, the, the perpetual question of can I be still a Japanese as a, and a Christian? Or can I still be Chinese and Christian? Can I be African and Christian? Or is this just a white men's uh, colonial faith that I should uh, rather uh, shun? Or should I should I become a Christian? So th- those articulations, and especially in Latin America, as you probably know, the, the big mm-hmm. question about poverty and the relationship to, to the U.S. was always a big a big hot topic. Um, how how can we uh, be faithfully theologizing uh, in these contexts? Has been always uh, always that kind of question. And so we we we've seen that the movement has has sometimes really 
succeeded very well in articulating that and having uh, the voices of the majority world speak. And because there was this friendships, I did I described earlier IFES as a, a sort of an international network of, of evangelical friendships. Yeah. Uh, because of these friendships, there was trust. And this trust allowed uh, many people also from the South to be heard, to be listened to, sometimes sadly to be ignored as well. We, we have to acknowledge that. Mm. But, but often it's really enriched and it certainly myself have enriched my 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 thinking uh, very strongly mm, absolutely as as have i been enriched in those conversations i always appreciate the brothers and sisters who've got such unique and important insights that are uh, things i would never think about so i i understand that yeah that's true yeah well, there's a couple themes in your book that are overarching, and we've talked about them, but I want to give you a chance to say anything else about them you'd like to say. And the first is, throughout, you argue there's a close connection between campus ministry and the idea of a, quote, missional ecclesiology. What else might you want to say about that connection? I've mentioned before what is usually called the parachurch uh, uh, movement is often uh, geared towards mission, either mission as traditionally understood as rather proclamation and or mission understood as more social justice kind of involvement. And often we see that um, it is through the engagement in society in whichever sphere, either in the far bush or in the nearby neighborhood, uh, working with either um, people from very foreign tribes of another culture and another language or from very foreign tribe of the homeless people down the road. Um, these kind of engagements have nourished missional thinking. And I think the whole missional church movement, uh, which has been strong and which has been helpful in, in calling back local churches to their missional calling, both for faraway lands and for close by neighborhoods, um, this has been really nourished by, by the power church movement. And I argue that we, we often say that apostolicity uh, is one of the core marks of the church has, as it has been traditionally defined in theology. Uh, apostolicity means to be faithful to the teaching of the apostles. Yes, but it doesn't mean only this. It also means being faithful to the fact that the church is the community of the people that God has called to himself and sent back to the world. Mm -hmm. As the Father has sent me, so I send you, says Jesus in John 20. So there is really this this interconnection between being gathered and, and scattered, which are standard ecclesiological uh, uh, categories, and I argue that this parachurch movement, and especially the, the student one, have called back the church because students have realized that they have been called by God to be witnesses where they are already uh, on campus. And this then plays into all the rest of the congregation of those who are not studying anymore, but are on the workplace and are engaging with their fellow colleagues and wherever God has called them to. So sometimes I know in, in um, student ministry, there is always this perennial question, what does God want to do with my life? Or uh, the other sentence, which is a bit more pointed, God loves you and I have a plan for your life, which we sometimes as staff workers tend to, tend to have as a sentence. But when students come to me and say, I wonder what God is calling me to, and I said, usually God is first calling you to be faithful where you are now. And he might call you elsewhere later or already preparing you for a further calling elsewhere. But now your calling to be faithful is to be uh, his or her faithful mm. witness where you are. Mm -hmm. Well said. 
I appreciate that. The other theme that permeates your book, and it really comes out in the last part of your book, is this idea of a student ministry, quote unquote, uh, in light of the priesthood of all believers, which we we talked about as we first began. But uh, say a little more about the contours of that missiology and how that really is so central to the idea of a student ministry. So first of all, I should say that uh, talking about missiology is sometimes scary for people, but missiology is really what? Missiology means thinking about the theory and practice of mission. So why are people witnesses as witnessing as they are? And why is this or this approach more or less fruitful or more, more or less biblically accurate? So if I had to outline those contours briefly, I would say first that students are participants in God's mission. Uh, mm -hmm. They're not just future missionary, missionaries, they're not just future Christians, uh, they are already there to be witnesses uh, in the environment to which God has called them. I would say as well that those students are a very specific constituency uh, and we need to have uh, uh, approaches that respect them as they are with their struggles. Sometimes it is about dating, sex, alcohol and what and you name it, but sometimes it's also and it means also sometimes pushing them towards those questions about academic engagement, what it means, what I'm studying, what does it mean for my future calling. Mm. Also, what are the projects in which I will uh, uh, invest my time and my energy and my brain power? Am I really going to put energy in doing a PhD in something that has the most military applications? Or am I the one who will put my energy into uh, development or asking deep sociological questions about what it means to build a highway there, which is not only, or only to connect to uh, parts of the city, but sometimes to um, separate the slums from the richer neighborhoods. So that's are the questions that students as a specific constituency need to be encouraged to raise and need to be modeled to raise. So I always argue for my fellow staff members, please do some hard reading and ask the students about their disciplines and what those disciplines teach them and help them see and sometimes sadly not see. I would say that we need this contextualization for the university. We spoke before about university engagement, uh, what it means to be a student in life with all those challenges. And sometimes those challenges are about being faithful in your dorm and not taking part in binge drinking. But sometimes in some contexts, I talk to students, they tell me the most pressing issue on campus is sexually transmissible grades. Basically, you can't do a, a master's degree if you don't sleep with a prof or you can't get good grades if you don't pay the prof uh, because you don't even ha have access to textbooks. So our ministry to university should also take into consideration this whole social economical context. What do students need to thrive, not only as individual Christians, but also as Christian uh, scholars? Mm. I also use this metaphor of the priestly mediation. We are to some degree as Christians, especially in the West, but our brothers and sisters from the majority world have been there for very many years. We are the minority. It's this small uh, remainder, it's this small uh, rest that the Old Testament speaks a lot. Uh, when the people of Israel were taken into exile in Babylon, the big question was, is God still there in Babylon? Mm -hmm. And the answer was, after some time, they re realized he was. And we are, as Christians, often the minority. Uh, nobody really asks us questions. Nobody is really interested in what the Bible or the Christian tradition have to say on whatever topic. They're considered irrelevant, mm -hmm. certainly in the more secularized uh, Western universities. 
but we are still called to be faithful. And sometimes it means uh, speaking from the margins, aligning with those who don't have a voice and learning on how to be uh, the followers of God who let himself be crucified on the cross in, in Jesus Christ and not, uh, not lording over others, but being those faithful, uh, humble and courageous uh, witnesses. And I would also talk about the importance of what I call the uh, intellectual mediation. Uh, I've alluded that before. Uh, mm -hmm. We mediate the concern of the university back to the church and we may mediate the, the concerns of God to the university. This means that sometimes we bring new questions, we ask new questions that no other people are asking, also because we have read what Christians have said before on those mm -hmm. topics. And mm -hmm. as evangelicals, sometimes we are so forgetful, we think we are the first on earth to ask those questions. <laughs> but right. even if August Augustine didn't really write on AI, Augustine wrote on many things and many more than Augustine wrote on many important things, notably yeah. personhood and whatever. And we also bring the concerns uh, of the rest of the world. And this is where I think there is a, a close combination between student ministry worldwide and theology and the church, because by listening to the questions and answers and reflections of our brothers and sisters in what we call the global church or world Christianity, as the better expression has it, our blindfold fall down. Uh, we, we discover that our horizons are being broadened massively mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. we, we, we see that, okay, what I consider the absolute central question of my faith is possibly absolutely irrelevant for my friend uh, uh, at the other end of the world. So sometimes we really have, especially as Westerners and certainly for people like you and I, Stan, I think you would agree, as a Western male, we sometimes really think that this is the issue, but then we talk to others and say, no, this is actually a marginal issue that has been settled uh, uh, long before. So there is also this kind of international intellectual mediation that takes into consideration the fact that the church has now, is now present all across the world. And world Christianity means also that the average Christian is rather a poor uh, woman in northern Nigeria mm -hmm. as, and not necessarily a well-dressed uh, um, uh, Swiss man uh, going to church in a nice car. That's that's really the, the, the big differences and it shapes our ideas as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, very, very well said. So how would you, if you had to sum up your view on student ministry and the university, how, how would you summarize it in just a few words for our listeners? I would try it that way. Value, listen, engage. I would say value the university because it is the place of the discovery of God's creation and creators, what he has made and all the people he has made in all their strengths and weaknesses. I've alluded before, it's also a safe space. So please, parents and pastors, don't despise the university. Don't tell your children or your church members that the university is just this dangerous place. Of course, there are many very odd things coming out of university, very strange ideas. But first and foremost, help people be encouraged to be faithful witnesses and faithful listeners. So this mm. brings me to the next step. Listen, learn to see what concerns people. Learn to ask good questions and to look for what God has revealed about himself, uh, even through academic discipline and listen to other voices than the major ones, including reading some of the authors that nobody asks you to read. 
And this is basically the Christian calling to be loving our neighbors as ourselves, right? We frame it in complex terms. So it's really love God first with all your heart and mind and, and strength and also love your neighbor as yourself. And finally, engage. Bring your Christian voice wisely, humbly, boldly. Love others. And sometimes engaging university means showing the connections between a solution or an issue and the wealth of Christian thinking in such matter. But it also means, as I said before, say hi to the cleaning lady and value those students who really have uh, problems. And sometimes it also means spending time with students struggling to prepare exams, sacrificing the, the, the biggest value for students, their precious time. It means sacrificing time to help a student struggling to prepare exams or to take notes or editing their papers, showing love to our neighbors. So valuing the context, listening in the context and engaging it wisely, boldly and with humility. No, that's, a, that's a great summary. Where, where can listeners go to learn more about some of these things you've touched on? Oh, there are quite a few uh, authors and insights and, and resources that we could put in, in the show notes. I would definitely uh, point people towards uh, the website uh, www.ifisworld.org slash etu or slash university, where you can find some of the resources that uh, we have produced, notably e-learning courses and that kind of elements. And there are good books talking about the place of religion in university, Nick Waltersdorf, Religion in the University. There are good books talking about academic disciplines from a Christian perspective. Yeah, if you'd send me uh, your suggestions, I'll add those to the show notes. Mm -hmm. well, Timothy, thanks for taking the time to share some of the wisdom you have on this and some of the fruit of your research. So appreciate so much your, your work for the kingdom. Thank you very much for hosting me. That brings us to the end of this edition of the College Faith Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this conversation at the intersection of Christian conviction and higher education. Be sure to check out today's show notes at collegefaith.net slash podcasts, where you can find more information and links to the resources we discussed. If you found this podcast helpful, please help spread the word by liking my College Faith Facebook page at facebook.com slash collegefaith and pass this show on to others who may enjoy hearing our conversation. Please do visit our sponsor, Global Scholars, to help equip Christian professors to be salt and light for Christ on their campuses. Until next time, this is Stan Wallace encouraging you to love the Lord your God with both heart and mind during the university years and beyond.